Welcome back for another episode of the Switch Report. I'm Dan, here with Kev. Yes, sir. And we got some fun topics today that you will not hear on any other sports show, including some fun activities, some interesting questions, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get right into it, Kev. You ready? Let's get it bopping. All right. Starting out with Jamal Crawford. Probably haven't heard that name, but Jamal Crawford, he's not on a team. And yes, he's a little old, Jamal Crawford. Everyone knows him because he was sixth man of the year um, when he was on the Clippers, and obviously he was just one of those great players. And, of course, he's known for his incredible handles. I mean, this guy's crossover is, a.k.a. Jay Crossover, that's his name. Um, That's something like I've never seen before. This season, he made a statement recently saying, it's baffling to me as to why I'm not picked up by a team. He was on the Suns last season, had a 50-piece throughout the year, and overall throughout the season, um, he averaged 18.9 minutes per game, which is a lot for a 38-year-old. This guy's almost 40. That's very old. But he averaged 7.9 points per game, and like he seemed like he could really hold his own when he was in the game. Do you think that Jamal Crawford should get picked up by a team? Do you think he still can bring stuff to the table? And if so, which team do you think would be the best fit for Jay Crossover? Um, yeah, so I think that, as you said, yes, we know he's old, um, but he's still a very skilled player. Uh, and in today's NBA, playing defense isn't really that, you know, like that uh, frowned upon if, you, if, you don't, if you're not a very good defender. So I think that coming off the bench as a six man, you know, adding a spark, um, adding some shooting to a team would be really good. Uh, an interesting stat about Jamal Crawford is that um, he's one of the only players in NBA history. He is the only player in NBA history to have 50-point games with four different teams. So uh, he did it with the Bulls on April 11, 2004, with the Knicks on January 26, 2007, uh, with the Warriors December 20, 2008, and with the Suns last season, as you alluded to, April 9, 2019. So that just goes to show how good of a score Jamal Crawford is. He can do it on any team in any situation. And he had 50 points just last year. So mm. he's definitely capable of playing in, uh, in today's NBA. And I'd like to see a team like the Sixers pick him up. I know that's, that's kind of biased. Yeah, that is very biased. But I think we need some scoring off the bench. Um, we've speculated about maybe bringing Horford off the bench and starting Mike Scott instead. You know, since Embiid has showed uh, to be a better player when Horford's off the floor. But I think Jamal Crawford would definitely bring that shooting and scoring spark um, to the Sixers, and uh, I think that'd be a really good fit. I, I was kind of surprised that we didn't um, even work out Melo, because um, I no. thought that he'd be a nice fit, but I think that uh, with him, you know, we didn't know about his ego and stuff like that. I think Jamal Crawford would just be very happy to be in the league. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I'm, we're going to talk about Melo later as well with, as and how he's been doing with the Portland Trailblazers so far, but in terms of a team that Jamal Crawford, I think, would be maybe a decent fit on is, I mean, there are a number of teams that could use a good bench player like him. You have to remember, he's 38 years old, going on 39 pretty yeah. soon. Like, he, I'm not going to say he's washed up, averaging eight points per game last season, but, like, he's not the Jamal Crawford that we used to see. I mean, mm-hmm. like, this guy used to go off on defenders and break their ankles back in his Clipper days. Um, and, like, the Clippers, as if they don't have enough depth on their bench right now, like, that'd be cool to see him like make a comeback yeah, to end off in L.A. where he like kind of built himself up. Uh-huh. It's just kind of like I love Jamal Crawford. He's like a great guy. Um, off the court, he's done so much like for communities, and it's it's great. But very down to earth too. On very Twitter down to earth. Yeah, that's even true. In real life. Um, and just a very talented player. I I don't really want to see him go out like this where he wants to be in the league and can't get picked up. I want him to end off like with just like happy. I, I want him to end off happy on a team and end his career in, in that kind of way. Uh-huh. So. Let's move on um, from Jamal Crawford. We got to talk about my guy, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo. Okay, I don't like that one. <laughs> no, but um, he finally returned to action last night after uh, being off, taking lots of time off due to injury. And his performance was not great. He, he, I mean, he only played 19 minutes and 30 seconds. But in his return, he put up eight points, five assists, and a rebound. Like, and it, during his rookie season, sure, that may have been okay. Now I think that is absolutely unacceptable, and I'm a huge Lonzo Ball fan. I'm I have so much belief in him. I'm I love Lonzo, but like that is unacceptable. Eight five and one as the starting point guard. That I mean, yes, he was very limited in his minutes last night. But I've said this before on previous shows, like before he got injured and was out. Um, those stat lines are unacceptable. I mean, during his rookie season, this was okay. Now it's unacceptable, and. I, he needs to have more confidence in his shot. He had his first five points in a minute and 30 seconds in the first half when he played. 
five points in a minute, 30 seconds. The rest of the game, he only got three more points. I, I think that he needs to step into a shot more. He needs to have more confidence. He's got to drive to the hoop. And I said this before, that, like, if there's anything such as too unselfish, then that's Lonzo Ball. Like, he, he's known for making great passes, finding his teammates, setting them up, and that's what's made him a playmaker, and that's what's brought him to the level to where he is today. But he's kind of being too unselfish, and he needs to look, like, look to get his own shot more. Yeah, if you, that's a good point you made. If you look up too unselfish in the dictionary, even though that's not a term that would be there, Lonzo Ball's picture would be on that page. I think that he definitely needs to look for a shot more. Um, he had sparks at UCLA where he kind of just took over games um, looking for his own shot and, you know, being a baller out there. You know what I mean? Like sometimes he looks like he's not even looking towards the basket. And it's like you got to make yourself – you got to make defenders defend you really like and not just uh, know that you're going to pass the ball your possession. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit only because that it was his first game back. Um, like you said, he only played 19 minutes and they brought him off the bench. Uh, they had J.J. Redick start who played 37 minutes and had 26 points. But – um, I think that Lonzo um, coming off of injury is why he played um, only that many minutes. And if this becomes a reoccurring theme and these stat lines become reoccurring, then like you said, it's a problem. Uh, but I think for this first game back, especially since he was coming off of injury, um, you know, just being limited, I think it was good to ease himself back into the game. And luckily the team ended up coming with the win against a surging Suns team. Yeah, um, absolutely. So. I mean, I can see why you would want to give him a break because he's coming back from injury and it's his first game. But here's the thing. His shot selection is terrible, and the reason why I'm not really giving him a break is because, like, he's smarter than this. He's a much smarter player than this. He only shot nine shots throughout the whole game. He was three of nine, which is obviously not that great. Seven of those nine attempts were three-pointers. And not that I'm not going to say, like, that he's just a terrible shooter and he shouldn't be shooting threes. I'm fine with him having confidence in his three-point jump shot and shooting that, but seven out of your nine attempts cannot be from three-point range. And, and he was two from, of seven from three. Yeah. So, so he he's just like, I mean, he has a huge impact on the team when he's in a game. But when he plays like that and he has that kind of shot selection, I I think that it's just negative for the team and it's just like a waste of time of him being out there. I've never said about him. I love Lonzo so much, but like he's gotta have more confidence in himself and in his scoring ability. We've seen it before in his second NBA game, his second career game in his rookie season. He had twenty nine points, and that was also in Phoenix, ironically. Um, he had he had a near triple double, twenty nine, eleven, and nine. I'll never forget that. I was on my way to school, um, and I saw that, and I was just like going crazy. No, and I actually like yelled, and my dad was like, "What's the issue?" Because we were in the car, and he, and I was like, "Oh no, Lonzo Ball just had a near triple double the second NBA game." And he was like, "Don't do that." We're like, I thought something was wrong. But uh, anyways, moving on from my personal stories about Lonzo Ball. Um, let's move on to the Celtics Clippers game the other night. This was a really good game. I was able to catch a little bit. Did you actually watch the whole game? Yeah, I wasn't able to catch it. I was in a uh, late-night meeting. Okay, gotcha. But you saw, like, the highlights. You saw, like, all the stat lines and everything. Yep. Well, it was a fantastic game. The Clippers won in overtime, 107-103. And one of the highlights that I got to mention is Tatum absolutely dropped Paul George. He took his ankles. I, that play was crazy. Um, it, like, come on, you got to have something to say on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say for that play in particular – uh, Tatum did drop Paul George, and Paul George said after the game, he said, um, that's not my first time in a Tatum highlight, and it won't be my last. He's a very skilled player. I thought that kind of showed uh, like Paul George being a little humble there because you know what he said after the Dame Lillard game winner? He said that was a bad shot. But right. uh, this time he kind of just accepted, like, yeah, he caught me this time. But a really interesting part about that play, if you watched it from the beginning, I saw this um, on Twitter, somebody broke it down. Tatum started off on the weak side. He came off of a screen, right? When he came off of that screen, Patrick Beverly was on him. After the screen was set, uh, Kawhi switched onto him, and then he got the ball in a dribble handoff. And the dribble handoff screen switched Kawhi or switched Paul George on him from Kawhi. So he went from being defended from Patrick Beverly to being defended by Kawhi to being defended by Paul George. And yes, he did drop Paul George, but that is just insane to show that they, the three go- the three perimeter players that switched out there are like three of the top ten perimeter defenders in the league, in Beverly, uh, Paul George, and Kawhi. So I think that's just a scary sight. And that, that play goes to show that, you know, yeah, if you're if you're very skilled, like, you can beat that. But not a lot of players are going to be able to, you know, have breathing room when they got to go from being defended from uh, by Patrick Beverly to Kawhi Leonard to Paul George. Yeah. I, I thought that was just crazy. Right, yeah, no. We talked about that, like, before the season. 
how the Clippers defensively were going to be an absolute nightmare for teams. And, I mean, Paul George is still a great defender, but that was nice to see the young guy, uh, Jason Tatum. What is he, 21 now? Like, that's a joke. He's only he's only 20. Yeah. Is he, wait, is he 21 now? I think he's 21. Yeah, yeah. because he, everyone was like, he's only 20, and then he turned 21, and everyone's like, uh-huh. he's, he's only 21. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so that was nasty. And then Kawhi also later in the game oh goodness, had a Kawhi. ridiculous dunk on Daniel Tice. Um, and the thing that I love about Kawhi is just how like poised he is. It's just the way he plays. He doesn't do it like for show. But after he dunks on someone, no matter how like ridiculous it is, no matter how athletic that play is, he just like turns around and runs right back to the defensive end. He doesn't like he doesn't do the LeBron like stare down. He doesn't like like kind of flex on him like Zion did that Kevin Knox that one time. He just like looks back, gets down defensive end. Like that's what I love about Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. But, that, that was nasty. At the end of the game, too, when he blocked um, Kemba Walker in OT, Kemba was going for the game-tying three. He blocked Kemba and just turned around and, like, kind of just clapped his hand once and just went to the bench. Like, he was so nonchalant about it. Yeah. He just jumped up in the air, blocked him, went to the bench, and he didn't even really celebrate at all. And then in the post game, they asked him about both of those plays, right? And he, they're like, can you walk us through that dunk, Um, you know, on Daniel Tice? He's like, And he has, like, oh, a three-word response where he's like, uh... It was a nice play. They passed me the ball and I jumped high and <laughs> I dunked it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love that about Kawhi. I was just like, simple he is. Yeah, he's just chilling out there. And it's just, it, I mean, you know he's trying though. It's, it's not like, he, it's not like, oh, is he trying obviously, out there? Yeah. Like, he's obviously going hard. Yeah. And then it's like, he's just so level. It's just the next play. He's so down to earth. I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony, and which we mentioned uh, briefly before, and his progress so far with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, so in his first game, he had 10 points, and that was decent. In his second game, he had 10 points at halftime. Ended off the game with 18 points, three turnovers, uh, seven rebounds, and four assists. He shot 60% from three, which is decent, three for five, and 40% overall. Except they got the loss. They, they, yeah. In both the games he's played in, they haven't won. Now, the first game, I don't think Damian Lillard was playing. Um, uh, both, both of them, I'm pretty sure. He was both out. of them he wasn't playing? Yeah, yeah, so that could also be a factor. Um his first game, he had a minus 20, plus minus. The second game was only minus one. But, I mean, still, it's just so nice to see Carmelo Anthony out there enjoying himself. Like, he's hitting the threes. He's doing this famous celebration. The uh, right, yeah, the, the head. Uh, it's not even a three. It's like his... Three to the dome. Yeah, three to the dome. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's just nice to see him out there just enjoying himself, doing what he loves. And I hope it works in Portland. I mean, he's obviously putting up good numbers, but he also put up good numbers in Houston and in OKC. And in New York, and that didn't work out either. So it's about, like, what you have to do to get you to win. I think this is a good addition. It's only been two games, but I've liked what I've seen from him so far. And I think he'll be a good scoring option for them throughout the season. Yeah, only two games so far. Uh, kind of mixed reviews from the first game. I know um, in that first game he was 4 for 14. He was uh, minus 20 from the floor, I mean, um, on the box plus minus. Uh, and there was a lot of mixed reviews on Twitter and from other NBA uh, experts and there was a lot of love being shown for him, uh, just just being back on the floor, hitting that first wide open three uh, in the first minute, the three to the dome, a lot of hype around that. And then on the backside, there's also people, um, you know, taking a look at that box score and seeing that uh, negative plus minus and talking about, well, is should this guy really be on this team? Uh, why are they starting him this early and things about, things like that? And I think that it just took him a little bit to kind of get back into his rhythm, get back into his flow. And we saw that yesterday, a better shooting night, 6 for 15 from the field, 3 for 5 from 3 with those 18 points. Um, he he made Giannis pay a few times for staying in the paint, hit a couple threes, three to the dome, uh, had a Hezo Mello against one of the Lopez brothers. I uh, can't stay in front of him, Hezo, too nasty. And it just goes to show that Mello can still be a, a very good scoring option in this league. Uh, he definitely should have been on a team. I'm not 100% sure about the fit for the Troublers specifically because it seems like this team, they've lost a lot of games. I think they're 5-10 and 10 now. Um, it seems like they need a little more defense than they need offense. Uh, Dame Lillard's been out these last couple games, but when he's there, it's him, McCullum. Uh, they got that dude, Anthony Simons, uh, mm-hmm. off the bench. The young and guy, it, yeah, from IMG. Yeah, yeah and there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of good players that can get them buckets. You know, Rodney Hood, um, Kent Bazemore can, can get buckets. But it's like on the defensive end, like who do you have that's a defensive stopper that can really, you know, make somebody um, like work for their shots, not just not just go out there and dominate like Giannis did yesterday. Giannis had 29 points, 19 rebounds, and 15 assists. That is insane. And it's like the Blazers, I feel like they have enough scoring, especially when Dame is out there. But 
and so Melo, like he, he's he should be on a team, but I don't think it's that. I don't I don't think that's the right fit for him. Really, you don't think Portland's the right fit? Yeah, hmm. I think that I think because um, they had that that lack of depth, that power forward. Um, they just got rid of Pal Gasol because you know he wasn't very he wasn't progressing very well with rehab, so there wasn't that much depth for the bigs. So they needed Melo in that sense. But I feel like he'd be better off on a team that's already pretty good defensively, and like you know need just needs a spark off the bench just yeah. to get buckets and not do much more. So I was surprised that Portland picked him up, but I mean he's he's playing well so far. So I guess we'll see. Ben Simmons hit his first three in an actual NBA game, not preseason. Uh, and he against the Knicks, and he shot it with confidence. He was on his side, and he just got the pass and just immediately shot it, and the crowd went crazy. It was so funny because when it was in the air, everyone was like, oh, the crowd was because going it crazy. was like, oh, my gosh, he actually shot it. It just happened so quickly. Uh, he nailed it. It was it was great. Not much to say there, but just got to uh, mention and, and like kind of acknowledge history, history that has been made. Yeah, it's something that, that really needs to be acknowledged, especially for us Sixers fans. We've been waiting for this day for so long, and just the announcer, uh, Mark Zumoff, just kind of embodied all of us uh, in, the, in his uh, announcement. He's like, oh, Ben Simmons, he did it. He finally did it. <laughs> it's like they just won the championship. It was so hype. Um, but I'm kind of holding my emotions in on this one a little bit um, because Ben Simmons, he usually does this thing where he tweets an emoji. It's uh, the emoji where it's like the guy looks mad and the, the smoke's coming out of his nose. He tweets that emoji before every single game. And before this Knicks game, he didn't tweet it. So we kind of knew that there was a little storm coming uh, because that's, that's, us- that's unusual for Ben. The last time he didn't tweet the emoji before a game was game seven uh, versus the Raptors. So I, I have to say that it's so weird that you notice that. And yeah, that, I that like you, it every single time, are, too. You are a, like, it's, it's almost scary how big of a Sixers fan you are if you take into account that he tweets an emoji before every game. Diehard die Sixers fan, right? So wow. I texted... Uh, you know, one of my other diehard Sixers fans, one of the avid listeners of the show, my dad, I uh, told him that, hey, Ben didn't, ben didn't post the, the tweet like today. What, what do you think's going What's on? What's going on? He sends me this article. He's like, he's probably mad about this article. The article talks about how Ben Simmons is having a down season. He's not shooting as many shots. He might not make the all-star game this season. And if he doesn't start shooting threes, this team will not make it to the finals. And what happens? He doesn't tweet the, the, the emoji. And he just comes into the game and hits a three. Insane. So I don't know if that article, that Bleach Report article that tore into him had anything to do with it. Or if that him not tweeting just maybe got locked out of his account or something. But I was hyped to see it. And after the game, he turned up. And I don't know. The, I, the, team, I think the that, team needed that spark. Like we, It was we cool to that. see. Yeah, it was definitely cool to see him uh, nail his first three. It was fun for the fans. But on a serious note, if he can develop that three-point shot and have that confidence and start like maybe just... Not even making them, but just shooting them regularly, then we can see completely transformed Ben Simmons. Or not transformed, but improved. And, and just even more of a star that he already is. I mean, he for made sure. his all-star game for the first time last season. And if, if he could consistently knock down a three-point shot, which I don't think I want to see for a little bit, but maybe in the future, he's still a young guy, um, he could really turn into an absolute superstar. I mean, that LeBron-type player. He's, he's an all-around player already. Philly's a great place for him. He's got that mentality. It's awesome. But uh, the Fresh Prince, if he can start nailing that consistently, he can really elevate his game to another level. So let's get to a fun activity. This is, uh, this is a really interesting thing. It's something you won't hear on any other sports show. Beat but it's, to the it's, Swish Report. It's going to be fun. Um, so which player would be the best if given another player's ability? So we, I'm going to read all the options, and then we can answer, say, which one we would choose. First... Joel Embiid with Kyrie Irving's handles, dribbling ability. Uh, Rudy Gobert with Harden's scoring. Nikola Jokic with Russell Westbrook's athleticism. Ben Simmons with Klay Thompson's shooting. Steph Curry with Kawhi Leonard's defense. And KD with LeBron's playmaking. Which one are you picking and why? What do you think? So, or do you want me very, to go first? Uh, you, can, you can go first if you no, want. No, no, yeah. you seem uh, like you're on I was going to say, this is, this is a very interesting topic because... When you look at it, it seems like the right thing to do is to take the player that is the best at everything else and then, you know, gets to add on that weakness, the best, the strongest weakness. Um, and my gut, you know, when I first saw the list, I'm like, oh, I'm going with Embiid easy. But, you know, that's just me being a sick Psych! I'm still going with Ben Simmons, baby. <laughs> ben Simmons with Klay uh, Thompson shooting. I think he'd be absolutely insane because if you look at Ben Simmons as a player – 
there's almost nobody else that you can think of that can just have that big of a deficiency in their game and still be an all-star, still average, what, like 16, 8, and 8 last year, something insane. And he can't shoot. He hasn't hit a shot from outside of four feet until that three-pointer um, the other day. So yeah, him with Clay with Clay shooting. If he was a knockdown shooter, he'd be borderline unguardable. I mean, you you could almost put like Giannis with Clay shooting there, but like that that would that wouldn't even be a question. That'd be a cheat code. That's why he didn't put that one on there. Yeah, because that he'd literally be the greatest player of all time. Giannis I mean, would. Yeah, I mean, I mean um, Embiid with Kyrie's handle. There are a lot of obviously really good ones here. Embiid with Kyrie's handles. That, that would be just ridiculous to watch. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine it in my head. Like, it'd be going through the legs, down the back, spin move. That, yeah. would, that would be so much fun that, to watch. That one I was thinking, too. I was like, he he already kind of has a little bit of a handle. But not but, great. But I mean, like, he's not a seven-foot-two like, guy. Nobody you know? has Kyrie's, yeah. Right. And then I was between that and then Jokic with Russ's athleticism. Jokic is Ooh. so good. He's all-around player. He's super high basketball IQ. And, but he, he's really not that athletic player. He runs up there. and down the court very slowly. A little chunky so, out there. Yeah, so him with Westbrook's athleticism, I think that would be that, that would be a scary scene. And then Curry with Kawhi's defense, that's obviously another huge one. I'm going to go with Curry with Kawhi's defense. Like I think that's just a clear, clear one. Yeah, you think I, so? I, I'm going with that one. Cur- Steph Curry with Kawhi Leonard's defensive skills. Steph Curry is already one of the best offense players ever to play of this game. Of all time, yep. Yeah, but, and if you gave him the defensive ability of Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi is definitely one of the best defenders we've seen in this game then that just I think that makes him like the best of all time mm-hmm. I mean I don't know how you're going to stop that uh, like you want to get more all around than that Not, I don't think anything tops Curry with Kawhi's defensive ability that's my final answer mm-hmm. so now let's talk about the Warriors the Warriors have been struggling this season and it's just been absolutely shocking it's bizarre to see a team that has been at the top of the rankings for the past five years, four or five years. Um, they've dominated all teams. It hasn't even been close, won numerous championships, and they've just been stacked. Now the tables have turned in a major way. The Warriors are the last team in the West. They're, they're, they're 15th in the West. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again? The last team. Dead last? <laughs> Dead in last. In the West? So let's talk, we're going to talk about a few topics within the Warriors, but... First, let's talk about Draymond Green and his impact. Now, he's been struggling heavily as now the leader on this raw, talented team. Is Draymond being exposed as a player as he's now the leader of this raw, talented team? That's the question that we're going to ask. And you can give your thoughts on that, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so for a couple years now, um, I've kind of been, and I'll admit, I've been a a Draymond Green hater. And (laughs) it's not really... It's easy to be. Yeah, it's pretty easy to be because he kind of talks a lot on the court and sometimes it, it feels like he doesn't back it up. You look at his stats, and it's like 7-7-7, seven, 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 and you're like, this guy's not good. But you always hear people say, like, he's the glue guy for this team. He's the engine of this team. And I've always vehemently disputed that. Really? The engine of the team is Steph Curry. Steph Curry makes everything go. Yeah. Because when Steph Curry has the ball in a pick and roll, you have to send two defenders at him or switch. If, he has the, if he's coming off a pin down, you have to send two or switch. And it just makes the whole offense go. So you watch the, the Warriors play, and Draymond gets a lot of assists, you know, in the pick and roll in the half court. And one thing that I always point out is whenever Curry gets a screen from Draymond and two defenders are drawn to him, Draymond gets to play either three on two or two on one on the back end of that pick and roll. So those assists that he's getting are not, are not like as advanced as people think they are. Like it's pretty easy for him to just come down, draw the defender, and throw a lob. If the defender doesn't come, then he can lay it up himself. But when I'm looking back at how Draymond played before Kevin Durant got there, before they were just super stacked, where it's like you can't really help off of anybody except their center, which is always the weakness, you know, Kevon Looney, right. um, Zaza Pachulia. Um, Draymond was actually a, a pretty good scorer. You know, he was a pretty good all-around player. He had um, a couple triple-doubles for Michigan State um, in the uh, NCAA tournament his senior or his last year before uh, he got drafted. Right, that's what I was thinking about, yeah. And in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, you know, a lot of people say that if he wouldn't have got uh, suspended in Game 5 or for Game 6, that the Warriors would have won the Finals. A lot of people think that. I, I personally think that LeBron would have found a way to win that, those games anyway. But <laughs> in Game 7, Draymond actually led the Warriors in scoring with 35 points. Um, so wow. I think that for him, uh, you know, even with me being a little bit of a hater, I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to get used to being one of the leading scoring options on a team again. Because in the last couple of years, it's like him taking a shot 
is like the worst possible one of the worst possibilities for them on offense. Yeah. And defensive defensive teams knew that, so they would try to get him to take shots. But like he needs to get back to being used to sh- taking those shots a lot. And I think that if his three point percentage goes up and he gets people to come and guard him out there uh, a little bit more, that he'll be he'll be on the right track. So Green, he's always been credited for his all around play. That's the biggest thing about Draymond is that. He was obviously defensive player of the year in the past, so he's a good defender. Um, definitely someone you can rely on on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, um, his passing ability, rebounding, and a little bit of scoring too. That's I've always thought like that's kind of how he made himself unique from all other big men in the league, especially as a smaller guy playing power forward, uh, which is why he's been able to succeed. And that's truly why I thought that. But is is Draymond Green just a product of being around some of the most talented players in the world? Because so far without them on this team that has a lot less talent uh, playing without Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, uh, Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of other bench players too that have been very good. Is he just a product of other talent around his team? Is that why he's been able to find so many people and average so many assists? Is that why he's been able to make all those all-star games? Now, Players don't make all-star games just for like because they get lucky or, or for no reason. But this do- definitely does say something about his overall game. This season, he's averaging nearly 30 minutes per game, 29.6. That, that, so he's obviously playing a very significant amount. And he's only averaging, in those minutes, 8.7 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, and 5.4 assists. Like, that's not, it's not like the worst, but from an all-star, like a, a multiple-time all-star, that's not the kind of statistics that you see. He's shooting 26.7 from three-point range and then 37.9 on all field goals. So Draymond is really struggling, and I've always liked his kind of energy that he's brought to the table, mostly because in the finals I loved when he went head-to-head with LeBron. But I think you're right in that comment that Steph Curry's energy around the team, because for a while, especially the past two seasons, Draymond was playing in an awful way. It was terrible, and I could see why you would hate him. It was annoying to watch, and he admitted it when he said, like it got to a point when I was crying more than playing, like it was. I'm sure it was disgusting to watch because it was disgusting to play, and it was it was bad. He literally said something like that, and he he was so right. And I loved watching him play uh, in the playoffs after he made that comment, and it was more controlled, contained. Wasn't getting a technical foul every single game. Right. He's a very passionate player, and that's something you have to respect. But it got to it like an annoying point. So. I don't know if Draymond will be able to pick it up. He certainly hasn't been good so far uh, in, in the minutes that he's played. But you also have to kind of remember that he has a new role this season. It's no longer like the third piece with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the fourth piece along with Kevin Durant. Fourth wheel, yeah. Yeah, now he's like the number one. He's the best player on this team right now. So, And D'Angelo Russell has not been playing either. So, I mean, yeah, he is the best player on this team. So you have to kind of consider that as well and, and kind of understand that he's – accepting a new role so it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment now transitioning into a similar question about the coaching Steve Kerr many people have had lots of comments kind of criticizing Steve Kerr as an overrated coach and that question should be brought up is Steve Kerr an overrated coach we've seen throughout the years he's had exceptional records with so many teams ever since he got in the NBA and replaced Mark Jackson as that head coach Um, in his first season they went 67 and 15 and they won the NBA championship. Second season, they were Western Conference uh, champions, and they went 73-9 and nine that season, the, the historical 73-9 and nine season. 67-15 and 15 the next season, 58-24 and 24 the next, 57-25 and 25 the next, and this year, now it's a little bit different. And, and let me just mention that each one of those years, he's either won an NBA championship or they've been Western Conference Finals champions. So obviously that's an extremely impressive resume. So far this season, like I mentioned before, the Golden State Warriors are last in the Western Conference, and they have a record of 3-13. and 13. So this is something that St- Steve Kerr is not used to, and the argument can be made, and people is what people have mainly been criticizing him about, is that he's only a good coach, or a quote-unquote good coach, because he's coaching superstars. He just lets them do their thing, and that's why it wins. Uh, and, and now without Curry, Thompson, Durant, and many other players... He's struggling. And so what does this say about Steve Kerr, and do you think he's an overrated coach? I think you should start with this one because I don't want to steal your thunder and just sure. go along with what you said. Sure, sure, sure. So I think no. I don't, I don't think he's an overrated coach. I think he's a great coach. 
so here's why I say that. Mark Jackson, who's now a commentator on ESPN, he was the coach before Steve Kerr. He was the he was the predecessor. Um, wait, is that right? Predecessor. Man down, man down. Yes, that's his. Or <laughs> mama, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that I, man. I love when he commentates on ESPN with Jeff Van Gundy. They go back and forth. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Mark Jackson had two of the best shooters in NBA history on the same team, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, and yet they weren't able to get. Like, they weren't able to win. I mean, they were able to get to the playoffs, make a little noise there, but they weren't able to get to the championship or even the Western Conference Finals. So when Steve Kerr took over, he ran more plays for Steph Curry, Steph Curry um, made, like got Klay Thompson more involved, and just ru- ran the offense around them. Not that it wasn't when Mark Jackson was, but he exposed them more, got them more shots, and he changed up the play style to a point where they were the best team in the NBA for years. And that's something that Mark Jackson couldn't do. And they say that Mark Jackson like kind of built that, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I agree with that. Steve Kerr, what I saw is that he changed something up when he got there, and they were able to go from one season to the next and have significantly more wins and be a substantial amount of more of a threat uh, in the NBA. So that's something that I noticed, and that's why I don't think that Steve Kerr is an overrated coach. Now, he's got to get used to this new team. He said it's a new era, like back to reality. That was the the line that a lot of people were saying at the beginning of the season. Back to reality. Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly was running. <laughs> They're 3-13, and 13, last in the West, and you have Jordan Poole, Eric Paschal. Th- this guy who I don't even really know who he is, the guy with the blonde hair. Um, oh, Kai Bowman. Yeah, I picked him I, up on my fantasy team for a couple weeks. <laughs> have, He's all right. I, I know nothing Boston about college. him. college. Yeah, I know nothing about him. Like, <laughs> it's just like these young guys, and obviously with their circumstances of injuries or players leaving, then this is what they have to experience. But... Um, it's just an adjustment for him, and so far it's been very, very tough, three and thirteen. But obviously, coaching young guys who are new to the league and new to a team or new to even playing many minutes during a game is very different from coaching a two-time MVP, a scoring champion, or an All NBA guy, um, a former MVP. It's very different. So, and and just that stacked team, absolutely stacked. So, I'm to a ridiculous point. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I agree. I'd agree with you there. I think that you know, as people said. And I think this is a little bit true. Mark Jackson did give those guys a little bit of confidence when he was on coaching for them. You know, he, he let Steph Curry and Klay Thompson know that nobody should be able to push them around this league, that they're going to be very good players in this league. But Steve Kerr, like like you said, he just opened up Curry's game in a way that made him borderline unguardable. Like made him start to, you know, get that, that two-time MVP and break those, um, those three-point records and all that. Yeah. Because he took Steph Curry off of the ball and effectively made him kind of like a shooting guard. Had Draymond Green facilitating the offense, running pin downs for Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. And it was just, it was unstoppable, the system that he had in there. Um, so I think that Steve Kerr definitely should get a lot of credit. And like you said, when you look at this team, there's almost no talent out there. Like we talked about Draymond Green and how he needs to adjust to play and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But even Draymond Green, you know, he sprained his thumb or something like that. Even he missed a lot of games. Right. Um, so you got rookies and second-year guys out there. There's, there's only so much you can do. Um, with that type of team, so it's bizarre to see how much this lineup has changed from previous years, or even just last year. Yeah, and hopefully, it's incredible. You know, hopefully, the coaching staff, you know, Steve Kerr, Willie Green, all those guys. Hopefully, they take this to heart. And you know, I don't, I don't want to see the Warriors be good. I'm not gonna. I don't want to see them be good. Yeah. But I don't want people to be bashing like Steve Kerr and these guys like that because it just they tr- it's just trying to take credit away from what they've done with this franchise and this organization. So, I mean, hopefully, they don't just get LaMelo Ball and dominate next year but um, and speaking of LaMelo Ball we're going to talk about him after a short break we'll be right back on the Swiss Report hi everyone so we unfortunately had some issues with the recording that made us delete some portions of it so I just wanted to give you some information that what I'm about to be talking about from the recording that we do have is an article from Bleacher Report about LaMelo Ball a few things that I picked out from the Bleacher Report article though were some interesting quotes and just kind of some things about his life. First of all, Melo is just super mature for his age. I mean, from Ball in the Family and, like, some things you see about him, it, like, he doesn't seem like the most mature guy, but he is very mature for his age, and what he's been able to, what he's had to sacrifice and, and do, I mean, this guy's, like, a great player, and he's going to be fantastic, but let me talk about a few takeaways I had from that article. When asked if he ever thought he would be growing up overseas, Melo said, I thought I was going to do four years at Chino Hills. I thought I was going to go to USC and from there go one and done. 
<clears throat> and go to the NBA. So how would have things been different if you went to college rather than playing overseas? And do you think that it would be better off or worse? And that's a really interesting question. Just to think of like, like how different the path would be and like how different the attention would be if he was here in America, um, especially playing for a California school. It's one of those big um, basketball schools in California, UCLA, USC. So um, I think that, I don't know if it would be better or worse I don't want to say it would be worse, um, but it would certainly be very, very different. The attention would be extremely different. And I think the situation he's in is actually better. In college, there are many distractions. Um, you have your work, the schoolwork, and then social life. Uh, there are many things that can distract you from practicing, working on your craft, working on your game. And meanwhile, in Australia, he's like focused completely on basketball, solely on basketball. So distractions are a huge part of why I'm kind of happy with the situation. I think it's better that he's in Australia because he's playing against pros. Uh, like I said, he's focusing mainly on basketball, getting professional experience, and he's playing against more developed players and pr the pro-level competition. And uh, that brings up many, many advantages. And I think, that, yeah, there's just many advantages to him playing overseas rather than playing in college. Now, it's arguably like that the competition he's playing over there is better than college basketball. I probably think so. NBA, the NBL is one of the biggest basketball leagues in the world I think it's like maybe the second biggest one second or third yeah probably third after NBA and uh in the Chinese Basketball Association okay yeah yeah so yeah it's probably second other or whatever but if these are still pro players these are still professional players that have some most of which have already played in college or played for a team at a younger level and now like he's facing like very I mean developed players so it's not like it's just easy over there it's very tough so he's getting that pro level competition I'm very happy with the way things turn out for Melo, and I'm happy to see him in the position that he's in after the roller coaster of events that transpired ever since he decommitted from UCLA because of his older brother, Langelo, who decided he wanted Louis Vuitton sunglasses, which he stole, and, and that really messed so many things up. It was just became a whirlwind of events. You saw he went to Lithuania. So he was a UCLA commit since his like freshman or sophomore year. 13 years old, actually, yeah. 13, that's insane all three ball brothers and while i would have loved to see that the plan was switched uh once the the incident happened with with leangelo so he went to lithuania they both did and that was just like there were so many issues over there with the competition with their play style the team the coaching um they hated the environment like it was so dull over there in lithuania and like dark it was just like a depressing depressing situation they were in and then he went to the JBA, the Junior Ball Ballers Association or something, the LeVar Ball, his own league that he made up. And that was just kind of like, it was, he, they were in his father's league and they were on the Los Angeles team. It was cool what they put together. And they, of course, they won the championship because his son's team won the championship. But like the competition there, I don't think was really that big at all. And then it went back to high school, aspired to do, and that was probably the best choice he could have made was go back to high school. And now playing in the NBL. So I think that like after everything that happened, um, he made the right decision and he's in a good place. And his career and his future really could have been at stake as he was transitioning and, and going through all those teams. The LaMelo ball that is such a great player today could have been very different if uh, he had chosen something else. So it's a good position. He's projected to be one of the like best players in this draft class coming up. What are your thoughts? Yes, yeah, so a lot of interesting things uh, to pick up to pick apart um, from this article, especially from what you said already earlier. From the roller coaster of all the things that's gone on so far, it was the best option for him to get away from you know the reality TV show and you know the the, the drama at home and all that kind of stuff. And the reality TV show is cool. Like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bag on Ball yeah. and Family. That's a cool show. I, I like that. Do you still but, watch it? Uh, not much anymore, but... I stopped watching it a while ago, but, like, I, I still really liked see it at first. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that for him, it was, it made the best sense to kind of go overseas and be in a professional organization where there's no restrictions on how much you can play basketball. He can train as much as he wants, he can get stronger, there's no time restrictions. Um, he kind of gets to learn about how it is to be a professional, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. In college, you, you do learn things about... You can learn life skills and you can take classes and things like that, but you don't really learn that those real life skills until you're out there. Right. Um, you know, conditioning his body, taking care of himself through a full season. And then also there's pretty much no restrictions in terms of the NBA scouts that can come to his games. I know when he played um, 
against R.J. Hampton in another game versus the defending champs. He had upwards of like 12 to 20 NBA scouts at those games. Right. Um, so that's really good for him with yeah, that type of exposure. Yeah. yeah, so it's not like he's not getting any exposure out there, and it's even better than... You could you say know, arguably he's getting more. Yeah, arguably better than playing in the NCAA. Um, so I think it would have been awesome for him to go to a school like USC or UCLA and really be on that national stage every single day. But they have overtime out there. You know, Bleacher Report posts them, posts them all the time, uh, the NBL. So he's getting that exposure anyway. Like, the, the cameras are going to follow him. Right, and the, the impact that he's making on the NBL is huge. Exactly, I, 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 yeah. They had 17,000, uh, some number of, of people there. I know it was in the 17,000s. And that was a record for attendance at an NBL game. And that's really all because of LaMelo Ball. So. Yeah, and they had to be ecstatic when they got him after already getting a top-flight player in R.J. Hampton to play on a team and then getting LaMelo to play on the Illawarra Hawks, who weren't a very good team. On st- they still aren't very good. Right, yeah. But it's kind of like he's the he's the face of the league now, and they're getting a lot of American viewers and things of that nature. So I think that's, I think that's awesome for them. But more importantly, LaMelo is still going to be a top-five pick, and he's well on his way. Um, to having an NBA career. So I think it was the best choice for him, um, for sure. For sure. Um, Now, I have another quote from the article that I thought was really interesting. Regarding criticisms that he's heard about his father negatively impacting his career, Melo said, you're not going to turn on your dad. You only get one dad in the world. People say to me, he's ruining your career. I mean, no, he's not, because he made me who I am. I love that quote so much, because so many people trash LeVar Ball. And, like, recently... uh, Maybe over the past like year and a half, two years, like they haven't because he's been quiet, and like Lonzo's been in the league, been kind of doing his thing, whatever. Jello has been very quiet. Lamelo's now kind of just on the uprise, um, and people just used to trash Levar Ball. I mean, people hate this guy, and it's, the reason is because he's like disrespected legends, saying I could beat Michael Jordan my heyday, one on one, and then Lonzo Ball's better than the two-time MVP Steph Curry. When he was at UCLA, which was man, awesome. you, you switched Lonzo with Steph Curry right now. The Warriors <laughs> still going seventy three and that, that was so awesome when he said that. Oh my, I love that. So he was like in a TMZ um, uh, interview or something, and the guy interviewing with, with, with him was like his Are eyes widened. Sure? Yeah, his eyes widened. He was like, oh, that, "That's a that's a very bold st- uh, statement." Look, listen, my ball. boy plays defense. My boy plays defense. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> Lonzo probably is a better. Like, defense would play than Curry, but okay, I'm not going to say he's better than <laughs> at that time, especially. Anyways, um, I, I love that quote from LaMelo because, like, there's been a lot of tension between the kids and the father recently, especially with Big Baller Brand, the whole clash that they had with Alan Foster and how they were screwed over on, with money and embezzlement or whatever. Um, and, and, like, tr- lots of trust issues. Lonzo and his dad certainly had some issues. I don't know what the whole state of Big Baller Brand is right now. I don't know if Lonzo's, like, wearing Big Baller Brand. I don't think he is. Um, but he's still a part of the brand. He, he said in the past, I remember when he was, like, first got in the league when he made his summer league debut, which was probably, like, the best time of my life because he was so good in summer league. It was absolutely amazing. But um, he won an MVP. But he was wearing Nikes and Adidas and Under Armors, and he was doing that, like, in different games. It was kind of funny. Like, it was, like, the Lonzo, uh, like, Shoe tracker, like like yeah, all the, everyone was time. looking at him. Yeah, everyone was looking at him. He, he wore uh, the big baller brand shoes in like one game, and then he switched up every game with a different brand. And like when asked about it, he said like that's the big baller brand way. Like that's what you get when you're you a big baller. Whatever you want. Yeah, you he said like you get that freedom to wear in. whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is a great like PR stunt. That's a great thing to say for for your like company and to like um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great thing to to say as a representative of big baller brand, but. Um, yeah, I don't know what that has to do with now, Is that, if that's a reason, but I don't know what the whole state is. So obviously there were a lot of trust issues, but back to LeVar Ball, a lot of people have hated on him so much and said that he's ruining Lonzo's career with how he exposes him and the attention, and LaMelo's career, and LiAngelo, all of his kids, and that he tries to get money, and he uses them as faces for his personal benefit so he can make money. That's just not true at all. LeVar Ball has built up his sons to make them the players that they are today. You would not have a guy that was so good, the number one point guard coming out of high school in the nation, and then killing it at UCLA, and then be the second overall pick in the NBA draft. I mean, you don't see that if you are if you don't get help. And LeVar Ball pushed his kids to make them the players that he is. And it's and just now, how he yeah. planned it. It's just really just how he planned it, too. He, he spoke it into existence. Yeah, he, sp- he speaks everything into existence. Well, that's the, that's like the fun side of him. That's like the, the whole act he puts on. But on, in reality, he like pushed his children 
to make them the fantastic basketball players that they are today. Um, and then now you see LaMelo playing in the NBL, and he's looking like he's going to be a top three pick. Some people are saying he can go number one overall. LaMelo certainly thinks he's the number one overall pick. But these players would not be the players that they are uh, without their father. Lanzo is a great player, too. He was only a three-star recruit coming out of high school, but that doesn't mean he's, like, trash. He's just not at the same level of his um, of his brothers, which is kind of sad as the middle child. But, um, but I, he was still a fantastic player. He had, like, 60 points in a game, 70 throughout high school. Yeah. Yeah, so just a quirky thing about Lanzo. So LeVar said that Lanzo is one of his favorites because he's built like him. He's built like Lavar. Yeah, he's always said Unlike that like he's three. a strong one. It's kind of weird. and Lavar. He's not. He's no like, like uh, twig when it comes to his build. I mean, he was on the Jets for like the NFL, right? Yeah, for like like a week or something <laughs> or something like that. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say. So going back to this quote, um, I think that you made a really good point um, early on in this segment, and that's that uh, Lamelo is really matured uh, for his age. Um, early on, you know, we saw those videos of him and Ball and the family, and he kind of looked like a little kid in those early videos where it's like, oh, Chino Hills has these three brothers, and people were reacting to that. <laughs> yeah, he looked so little. And then, and, the next, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and so, like, over the next two years, it seems like he grew almost a foot, right? And then he, yeah. he uh, you know, matured. He got those braces or whatever. Got I don't know the what they're fixed, feeding him over there, got, yeah. Yeah, got the teeth fixed up or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, now he's like, what, like six, seven? And... Yeah, it's quote, hotter than that, yeah. Yeah, and this quote just shows a lot of perspective on his part um, as an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, he's pretty much coming to the... Un- he understands that no matter what his dad does, he really owes his dad the world. Yeah. Um, because, like you said, at a young age, LaMelo probably you know told his dad, or maybe his dad told him, that he wants to make it to the NBA. And LeVar was going to make that happen regardless. Um, you see a lot of kids where they kind of give up early on Either because you know they're they're too short, which is not a problem for the Ball brothers, or maybe they just couldn't figure out how to shoot the ball the correct way. That's not a problem for them either. Like they their their shot forms might be horrible, but the repetition that their dad put them through and all the training, and then even having Lamelo play up with Leangelo and Lonzo, yeah. like it's just it's just created it's just made Lamelo a monster at this right. point. Right. And so he he understands that um, his dad didn't ruin his career. He kind of made his career yeah he and built, that's he's he the one who quote. is responsible for it for pushing him like lavar i love this quote so much because his father is the one that like pushed his children he said before that it, it's not just me like i i push them but you shouldn't have to push them too much because if they don't want it then there's no point he said he, like i remember the interview he, like when the Paul brothers were first kind of uh getting popular and like known about it, and he, he was getting interviewed every left and right and he said like like, listen, they want it themselves, and they've committed. And because of that, I say, okay, well, if you really want this, then I'm going to push you to be the best player that I can make you into and that you can be. But if I have to push you too much, then you don't really want it, and I won't do it. And so it, it's not like he's forcing on the kids. And I don't want to hear any of this crap about, like, like he, he's doing it for his own personal wealth. Like, he just wants to make money off of them. Like, that is, that's total BS, I think. Like, he tr- he loves his children. He truly loves his children. And he, like, really dedicated so much time to this. I saw an ESPN short clip. It was amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it was, a, like, an old footage that LeVar took of Lonzo, uh, Leangelo, and LaMelo when they were little kids. And and they were wearing, like, Falcon jerseys. Those big jerseys. Yeah, those, those Falcon jerseys. jerseys. It was pretty awesome. And um, you see LaMelo ball, he's, like, maybe, like, two feet tall maybe a foot tall it was it was so sure he was like a little literally just a little kid a baby um, just learning to walk and you see him dunking on the little mini basketball hoop that they have um like the little tykes basketball hoop and he was and what's amazing is he he taught them how to shoot over their head uh-huh. even when they were like little kids like when, they so were, little, when they were toddlers maybe that's why they're shot which is incredible weird, yeah. like that's incredible to me like he he taught them the right way it was it's amazing so he's put in so much dedication um for them to be the players that they are. And I hope to see, like, Jello go on the NBA. Like, he seems like a good guy. But the, the point is, LeVar Ball is not a bad person by any means. He's a great guy, and he loves his kids, and he's put in so much work to get them to the players that they are today. So I don't, like, there's no way that he's ever ruined his career. Yes, he makes some controversial statements, but he is totally not someone that drags them down, but has brought them up to this point. And I think giving them a little bit of freedom now and not making as many crazy statements recently... Um, He's kind of let them become their own people and their own men, but never forget how they got there. 
Moving on from the Ball Brothers, we have the fact of the day, and this is really interesting. You have to tell me if you knew this. Draymond Green played tight end for the Michigan State Spartans at a spring football game in 2011. His performance was terrible, though. Uh, he was called for a false start on his first snap, and Green said at the time, I like my future in basketball a little bit better. Have you ever seen the actual footage of him? Yeah, I actually saw two of the false starts on there. <laughs> so this is one of the rare times where the Swish Report fact of the day is something that I already knew. So that is a quick plug. Go follow the Swish Report. We, he posts these types of facts all the at time. At the Swish Report. Over half of them, like, you've never seen before. And, yeah, at the Swish Report. Go give it a follow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, those old clips, though, they're so funny. Like, Draymond just looks like he has absolutely no idea what he's doing out there. Like, when he, the first snap, you hear the whistle and he's offsides, or, or it was a false start, and he's, like, looking around. It's just like he's in a basketball game when he gets the text. Like, he's like, what What do I do? I mean, and he just truly has no idea what he's doing there. So, it's so <laughs> funny. He, he just looks huge out there, like, yeah, I can bigger see, than everybody else. I can see why it. they would want him to, like, play or try football. I mean, he could be a good tight end if he could get some speed and learn how to catch the football, but... Yeah, they always talk about the power forwards turn tight ends, you know, Jimmy Graham, Tony Gonzalez, Jimmy Graham, all those yeah. guys. Jimmy Graham played at Miami, like, at both at the same time. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Who do you think in the NBA would make the best football player right now? Oh, the best football player? I know who um, I'm going with. I'm going with LeBron. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna act like I was thinking yeah. about it and then just go LeBron, <laughs> but you, you beat me to it. Yeah, yeah you gotta go with LeBron. Quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, doesn't oh, really I'm, matter. I'm, I'm putting LeBron, who's six foot eight, like, 270 and extremely muscular, extremely fast. I'll put him at tight end, end on the offensive yeah. line. Um, and he's going to be a fantastic blocker, and I'm going to throw touchdowns to him all day long if all I have that tight end. With the LeBron cleats looking fresh out there, of course. And he, I think he actually was an all, or no, an All-American in high school for football as well. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. I, I don't want to confuse that with any other players, but... Alan Iverson was a beast at wide receiver. I remember that. Was he actually? Yeah, he was insane. That's kind of funny. I've never... Uh, I've never heard that story. I didn't know he played football in high school. Yeah, they had him at kick returner sometimes too. Uh, apparently, he was like he was like Deshaun Jackson before Deshaun Jackson in high school, which That's is crazy. So I can see little AI six foot three like as a good quick wide receiver. Uh, like after he's going to touch another step over, yeah. over like <laughs> one of his defenders. Um, and then another guy who was a, a football player in high school was Willie Cauley Stein. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Seven. He's like seven-something. OP, dude. Was he a tight end, too? Well, that's why... No, I don't know if he was a tight end. I think he was a wide receiver. But that was one of the things that John Calipari talked about. When he was recruiting him to play at Kentucky, he immediately knew that he wanted that guy to be on his team because he sees this, like, seven-foot-two guy, or seven-foot guy as a receiver outrunning defenders um, on this football team. And so, like, when you see... That is so rare you see a seven-footer as a receiver on a football team. So he knew he wanted him, and they, you see a fast guy that's uh, quick like him. It, like, it's, it's amazing. That's it's crazy. Amazing. So he, Willie Cauley-Stein has always been a huge athlete. Um, and now he's on the Warriors, and now he's kind of, I don't even know what he's up to now. But yeah. He, he's going crazy with, like, all these, like, all this art and stuff and uh, tats and, like, nose rings. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like Dennis Rodman right. 2.0 over here. Yeah. Anyways, um, that's just a hilarious Draymond Green fact. If you have not seen the footage of Draymond Green playing football at Michigan State, I highly recommend you go check it out. It is absolutely hilarious and honestly a little bit sad to watch. Thanks so much for listening to the Swish Report. Sorry again for the technical difficulties, but we'll be back soon with more content.